The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Namaste. Welcome to the Conscious Combo Podcast. I am your host and teacher, Pippa Leslie. I'm here to share everything I learn, see, and channel. This podcast is for the conscious and curious beings who are ready to dive deeper into spirituality. I am so grateful you are here. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Conscious Combo. I am joined with a Kiwi today and it's beautiful because I'm getting to meet all these beautiful women and men in New Zealand. I've obviously moved here and I'm expanding my community, expanding my tribe, getting to know people and Libby has been an inspiration. I found her through, I think just Instagram, you know, when you find people through other people and Libby is such an inspiration and I'm always following her stuff. I'm bringing her on today is a real honor. And I think what we've just done before we press record is setting that intention. And I absolutely loved it. Can you please do that again, Libby, for us, please? <laughs> It'd be my pleasure. Hello, everyone. I'm just going to start us off by an intention. Thank you for this space, Pippa. Thank you for this conversation. And if you're here and if you're listening, thank you for tuning in. So if you want to join in this intention, you're most welcome. If you just want to receive the energy, you're most welcome as well. If it is safe and good for you to do so, you're welcome to close down your eyes. Take a big breath. Letting go, releasing any tension, any anxiety. Creator, we just give you so much gratitude for this space, for this conversation. May the words that we share and the conversations that we have speak straight to the hearts of everyone that is listening. And then everyone that is listening, when they go into the world from this moment, may they share and put out into the world the magic, the healing, the love that they receive from this call, from tuning into this. May the space that we open today be a space of healing, of love, of contribution, of light. May the words that we speak be of truth, be of love, be of upliftment, be of healing. And we request that any person that is ready to receive a specific message, a specific intention, or a specific reminder from their own soul, may this be the time and the place and the space that that happens. 
We give gratitude for this conversation, for the technology that allows this to take place, to the guardians of the land, and of course to Pippa, our beautiful creator, for bringing this space to life. And so it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so it is. Oh, wow. That's probably my favorite way to start a podcast. Thank you for gifting that. You're welcome. You're welcome. While you were setting the intention, I was thinking about what I want to ask you and what I want to talk about. And I was drawn to talk about your sober journey because it's something that I think a lot of women on a spiritual journey, when they're awake, you know, they've woken up to healing and self-awareness and the shadow and doing the, you know, all the work that's included with that is moving through letting go of alcohol, you know, it's a massive thing that you've done. Like it's seven and a half years now. Like it's absolutely incredible, Libby, honestly. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank How you. was that journey? Yeah, it's interesting. I was, so it's seven years, nine months today, yesterday was seven years, nine months sober. And since my last drink, since I last got absolutely fucked up, <laughs> like actually any alcohol <laughs> And I was thinking about it this morning in the shower, of course, because we're about to have this conversation. So our souls knew. And I was thinking about, you know, I did an interview on TV last week and they were talking about, is sobriety boring? And they were asking this question. And to be honest, I said, to be honest, yeah, it was. But being mainstream, they weren't necessarily open to the depth of why someone would go sober or why someone would clean themselves up or why someone would not drink. And they were just uh fixated on the fact that it was no longer be fun and what i was thinking and reflecting on this morning was there has to be a strong enough reason to get sober than to give up uh you know the perceived pleasure that alcohol can bring and for me i had such a big problem and i honestly feel like the stronger the problem that we have with alcohol and whether it's you know i was drinking multiple times a week i would put vodka in my coffee i would you know like i was i I remember being at uni and, and drinking tequila throughout one of my exams like i was you know not super high functioning but um you know and what i reflected on is that we have to get to a point where we realize that continuing to do something that is harming us, that is getting in the way of us living our purpose, that has to be stronger than the fun and the pleasure that it brings. And so I think that if you don't have a problem with alcohol, it's a lot harder to give up actually. Like for me, it really felt like life or death. I, I'll take you back to 2016. It was January, January the 30th. And I, at this point, had tried to stop drinking. I tried to no longer drink for probably five years. And I would have this just on off toxic relationship with, okay, I'm not drinking. Okay, I am, you know, I'm just someone who drinks. No, I'm not drinking anymore. And the last time that I tried not to drink, I did, I don't know, 10 days. And then I found myself at a bar with a glass, you know, a massive glass of wine with a friend, which turned into three glasses of wine, which turned into a couple of bottles of wine. And I just started going on this downward spiral. And it was like, it was like drowning, right? Have you ever been in one of those situations where life's happening and you just can't seem to get a breather? It's like arguments, the drama, the pain, the shame, the depression, the anxiety, and the only thing that would make it all go away was drinking. So it was just this 
perpetual self-sabotage loop that I found myself in. And then 30th of January, 2016, I'd had a night out the night before with a friend, actually the same friend that I had the wine with a couple of months before when I was trying to stop drinking as well. And I, I woke up and I looked around, I'm like, holy shit, I'm in a hospital. What, what the fuck has happened? Like, I hope Spring's okay here. This is the, the, the raw realness of it, right? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, where am I? What's going on? I had a neck brace on. I'm in a hospital gown. I can see the nurses I'm coming to. I hadn't been asleep because I wasn't allowed to because apparently I had a concussion. So I was sobering up, right? If anyone, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you're, 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 you haven't even gone to sleep and you've had a big night of partying and you're just at that stage where it's starting to get light and you're coming into consciousness and moving from that blackouts, blackout uh, state. And so I was trying to work out what was going on. This nurse comes up to me, she's shining a torch in my eyes and she's asking me these questions and she's saying like, you're lucky to be alive. You're lucky to be alive. You're lucky to be alive. And I had the mental health team there. I was trying to work out what was going on. Like, what is happening? And then I look over to the corner of the bed and my mum and my dad are sitting there. They had been called in the middle of the night and said, hey, your daughter has had an accident. There's been an accident. She's been taken to hospital by an ambulance. We don't know how bad it is. And hearing it from them afterwards, like that hour or whatever the drive was to get to the hospital where I was in the city where I was, was the longest hour of their life. And turns out I had drunkenly had an argument with my boyfriend and then thrown myself out of the window on the second floor onto concrete in an attempt to end my life. So the fact that I was there alive was in itself a miracle. It didn't feel That's like That's making me emotional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still feel emotional talking about it. Yeah, geez. It. Thank it's, you for sharing it. Yeah, thank you for the space, especially when we have this conversation in a place yeah. where we understand it. And yeah. so thank you for creating this space yeah. and for everyone who's listening as well for, for hearing it. And I think, and for me, in hindsight, what I started to realize was that and anyone spiritual will get this as well. I had been on such a spiritual path and every time I was drinking, I was opening myself up because, because of my traumas, because of my vulnerabilities, because of the stuff that I hadn't dealt with, because I always numbed it. I was opening myself up as a portal, as a channel for any energies and entities of that vibration. And so that, that, that wasn't who I was. I wanted to live here. I wanted to be on this planet. But when I was in that state, that wasn't the first time I'd done stuff like that. I'd had experiences where I'd thrown myself in front of buses, where I had threatened this to previous boyfriends before that. And it was just like this darkness came over me whenever I was drinking. And so this wake up call that I had when I was in the hospital, I knew it at a soul level. And so when my mom and my dad were there, my mom asked me, I actually wrote this in my book and I thought it was a nurse, but my mom corrected me when she read my book. She goes, do you realize it was me that asked you this? I was like, oh, I didn't actually. I'm just writing it from what I remember. And it was all such a blur in that moment. I thought it was a nurse, but it was my mom. And she said, Libby, 
looking at the hospital room, looking at the situation I'm in, looking at me, no dignity. My boyfriend's broken up with me, he's not coming with me. I've got a neck brace on, the mental health team's there questioning what I'm up to with my life. Am I okay? What's happened? This is not normal behavior. So my mum asked, Libby, what are you going to do? And the words started coming out of my mouth before I could stop them. And I could hear them coming out of my mouth. It was like my soul was speaking and my human is going, no, like I can't like take these words back. But the words that I said were, I can never drink again. And I knew in that moment, that was a declaration, a contract that I was signing with my words between me and the universe, witnessed by the nurses, witnessed by my parents. But most importantly, I'd had a couple of wake up calls before then and I knew that this was now or never. I knew, and I'd actually had a message from some, some beings a couple of years before that, that if I was to continue drinking, they would stop saving me. That it was, yeah. I was saying that I didn't want to be here. And so that, I've got to, yeah. That then was like, okay, this is literally life or death. I have to figure out a way. I don't know anyone that's sober. I don't know anyone that doesn't drink. It's all I've ever known. I had my first sip of beer when I was about three or four years old. I was mixing my granddad drinks when I was seven and I was being their bartender at parties. I started drinking when I was 13. And, you know, every weekend from throughout all my teenage years and all my adult years at that point, all I knew was to drink. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to function. I didn't know how to socialize. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to handle emotions. And so one of the first things I did when I when I got home from the hospital, which I had to move back with my parents because my boyfriend broke up with me. And um, that's a, another story. I'm now married to him. But anyway, <laughs> um, so initially that 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 first week I had a week off work. I wasn't working for myself then. I was working a job. I had a week off work. I had concussions, so I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't do anything. I had broken uh well, well torn both my knees and my legs so I couldn't walk I was on crutches so I was literally like I'd hit rock bottom literally had to learn how to walk again had to learn how to navigate life again and I remember writing down right okay Libby what am I going to do well first of all I'm going to remember the pain that I'm in right now this is the most amount of pain I've ever experienced in my human life in my adult life and I'm going to write down what this moment means and so I wrote a letter to myself in case I ever forgot the pain and I was tempted to drink again. So I wrote this heartfelt letter and then I wrote, okay, now I better find a strategy to help myself when the triggers come up. And so, so what are all my triggers? And I started writing a list of all of the times when I felt like drinking and I was writing this list. I'm like, okay, when I've had a good day, when I've had a stressful day, when the sun comes out, when I'm celebrating something, when, um, you know, something bad happens when I'm socializing, when I'm catching up with friends. And I just wrote this long list. I looked at it. I'm like, holy shit. What I've written is actually every time I feel an emotion, it's not drinking, it's an emotion. So my first job is to learn how to feel. Okay, all right. I think okay, can I do that? Well, I don't know about I don't know about tomorrow or next week, but I but I can get through today. I can get through this hour. I can get through this one meal. Meal times are the hardest for me. I can get through this one meal. And I thought, okay, well, if I, when I go back to work, 
I, I can, I could always stay sober in the morning and until, you know, throughout my days at work, but it was when I got home. So I'm like, right. So it's not actually a whole day that I've even got to go through sober. It's from the time I get home to a couple of hours later when I go to bed. So really it's only a few hours that I've got to figure out how to stay sober. And so that literally one day at a time was my life for two years, two years. I, I, had no idea where this was leading. I had no idea what was going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next week, or let alone my five-year vision. I was walking blindly with faith, hoping that it would lead to something, hoping that there was going to be a purpose for me living this. At the time, it felt very boring. Right? I was focusing on my physical health. I was focusing on my spiritual health and I was focusing on my healing. And then I was working. And apart from that, I didn't do anything else. I try and go out and socialize sometimes, but it just, it, it was all that I knew how to do. So the first social event I went to was a beer and wine festival. And I drank about, I don't know, 10 bread bulls. I'm like, okay, this is not good for my health. I've got to find another way. Right. But it's like, I didn't, what do you do when this has been your whole life? So that's, that's the gist of it. Now in three months from now, I'm going to be celebrating eight years, which to me is mind blowing. And I did a post actually yesterday that, still seven years nine months in you know i thought i thought that there'd come a time where it's just life and i'm just sober and it's just going to be easy and for the most part like 99 percent of the time it is easy for me now because my life is so different i am so different i am living a life greater than i ever could have imagined eight years ago like beyond fathomable and but what I realized is that's always a work in progress, just like healing, just like a spiritual journey, just like being human. It's all, we're always a work in progress. And even at, you know, the rugby world cup, we went to watch it the other day at the bar and it was 7.30 AM and people were buying champagne and beers and espresso martinis. And just that tiny little part of me, I noticed it. I'd never do anything, but I noticed it was still there going, Oh, wouldn't that be nice to be able to socialize and have fun and let go a little bit and just like, I would, I would never, but just, it's so important for me to be aware of my weaknesses or those little vulnerabilities, because it's those that when we're on this path, it's those little pieces of temptation that if people entertain for too long and they think, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. That's what brings the downward spiral. And yeah, it's just, it would never be worth it. So that's the, uh, that's the story that I called to share right now. There's obviously many layers to it, but let me let me know. If thank you for sharing. Share. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I want to ask you, like, so obviously you're married to the boyfriend now, the husband. How did the relationship dynamic change? You know, was alcohol the issue with at first, and then obviously, is he, is he sober as well? How you know how's that dynamic? Is it? I'd love to know about yeah. that. So before meeting Dane, my, I was living in Australia and my relationship in Australia had broken up because of my drinking, which is why I moved back to New Zealand. So I'm like, what am I doing in Australia for this guy? Like, I'm going to move back home. So I met Dane right after I, and it wasn't in a space to meet anyone, but I'd met Dane right after I'd been through a breakup because of my drinking and I'd never been able to hold down a relationship ever really would like all my relationships would last maybe a year 15 months 18 months i think was the longest 
And that all, most of them, apart from, apart from one or two, had broken up because of my drinking. And it was always the reason I couldn't hold down a relationship. And so when I met Dane, he, his father passed away from um, liver failure because he was an alcoholic. And so Dane watched his father die very um, over a, a downward spiral over a couple of years and they could just see it. And so for him, he always had, uh, he there was always a problematic relationship with alcohol for him vicariously through his dad. And so he was never really a big drinker, but when he did drink, he also had the alcoholic tendencies of once you start, you can't stop. And, you know, and so he was very mindful of that. When we met, he was already on a, um, journey of maturity, I guess you could call it. I wouldn't say sobriety, but just maturing and, and learning how to be responsible. And so here I come along. I love to party. I love to drink at any stage, like any, any excuse. And he would sit there sober and I would just be drinking and getting wasted by myself. And so already for the first couple of months, first couple, the first year, actually, this it was it was becoming a real problem in our relationship like a real problem i'd come home really messy i would pick arguments i'd be really dramatic um i would be very abusive as well often we hear of domestic violence being from a male towards a female but actually i can hand on heart say i was the one that was bringing domestic violence into our home through my words and sometimes through my physical actions and so the night when, you know, the, the night we had had another argument and there'd actually been a situation the, the week before where Dane had said, look, if you drink again, I'm done. Like I am done with this. This is too much. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I can't handle this. Like I can't do it. And so sure enough, a week later, he had to follow through on his word. Right. And so he stuck to his word. He, he said, I, t I told you, but I can't, I can't come. I can't continue this relationship anymore. And he, I knew that he loved me, but when I was drunk, it was, I was, when all our shadows come out, if we haven't done the work, we project all of that out. We don't have control over it with our um, emotional intelligence has gone out the window. And so in the hospital, when he wasn't there, I remember this moment where when I was on the hospital bed and as painful as it was, and as much as I wanted to be the victim and say, poor me, my boyfriend's not here. He's broken up with me. I could hear that part of me, but I could also hear the part of me that it's like when we face extreme pain, we have these choice points. And in this moment, I could see my soul like reach. It was almost like reaching down inside of me and pulling out the strength that I didn't know that I had in terms of the ability to be self-aware enough that it is the most painful thing to realize that you are the one that has created this painful experience. And that was what happened for me in that moment in the hospital bed. I saw the victim part of myself poor me, this sucks, why am I here, another relationship is broken down, every guy is dumb, <laughs> like all those stories that I was playing out. And then there was this part of me that said, Libby, you have created this, you created this, you did this, you had so many chances, and you're the only one to blame here. And so in that moment, 
of incredible grace and probably one of the most humbling moments that I'd experienced at that time, that was when I knew that I was the one that had to change. So that week when I had moved into my parents' house, I was recovering from the concussion and I had done all that deep inner work. I sent, this is going to sound really silly, but I, I was like, I don't care if Dane and I get back together, I'm changing my life. But he is amazing. And I don't want to let that, like, I want to make sure that I do everything I can to apologize and to let him know that I've changed and that I'm changing. So I sent him flowers on the Wednesday or Thursday. He had been praying or meditating that night or that during that day saying, universe, give me a sign. Like, do I give her another chance? What do I do? And he gets home from work and there's flowers from me on the doorstep. So he's like, okay. So he texts me, thanks for the flowers. We arranged to connect and have a conversation in a couple of days from, from then. And so I spoke with him, poured my heart out in terms of your right. You have every, every right to leave. Like you don't deserve to be treated how I was treating you. And I want to let you know that this is the path that I'm choosing. I'm committing to a path of sobriety for the rest of my life. I don't know how, but that's what I'm going to do. And whether it's you or whether it's someone else, I, I, I have to do this for myself. And he said in that moment, he, res he responded and he said, okay, well, I'll do it with you. And shall we start again? And then we got married a couple of years later. <laughs> oh, it's emotional for you, isn't it? It's like, cause it's, that was so, that, that month, that week, that like, part of you was like everything was shifting it was either going to be one path or the other path but I resonate the most with what you said about acknowledging that victim part of us because that's come up for me a lot you know like hearing it knowing it's there and not giving it the floor because I'm like you know I hear you I have compassion for you but you're not going to ruin my life because that's not the place I want to be in you know it's not victim energy victim mentality victim mode is it, it's just devastating to your anxiety stress your choices and it's creeped up a lot for me over the last few months and I think I've done a really good job of hearing it and not judging it and just being like I get you but I ain't listening you know I'm sending you love and you can just go away <laughs> so yes yes I think that it takes so much Drink, Pippa. That's amazing that you do it that. It does. And I don't have a problem with alcohol. I will have a glass of wine of a weekend, but recently it doesn't taste the same. It's I just I'm just not really a big drinker. When I was younger, I was. I would probably drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, just normal teenage. So I don't have an issue with alcohol, but I know a lot of people who do. And I have friends who are in relationships and marriages where alcohol seems to be the pivotal conversation of divorce or staying together or and it's it's hard because when you haven't been through something you can't again it's when you go through something you can help them you know because you've been through that I think that's why maybe this conversation today was amazing to help you know if they listen to it you know some of my friends or some of my clients or anyone that is going through this and actually as well moving to New Zealand I've seen the how alcohol's worse here than it was in the UK like there's a lot of 
you know, a lot of alcohol issues and the domestic violent issues, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know them a lot more. And I agree what you said, Libby, as well. Like when you're drunk, you know, and you're not thinking straight, the shadow comes out and it's, they always say that's your truth speaking, isn't it? In a sense, like it's that not exactly truth, but it's that part of you that isn't acknowledging yourself while you're in, you know, conscious, while you're in consciousness. And it's, yeah, it's never been an issue for me, but I always, I remember saying to my husband last year, cause he's not a big drinker either. And I'm so grateful because I've had ex-boyfriends who have been drugs drinking, you know, it's really hard to navigate a relationship like that. And my husband actually said to me, I, I'd be happy never to drink again. And it's interesting because I, I'm the same, you know, I'm the same. I, I like having, it's funny when you reeled off that list of, uh, you know, drinking when there's a celebration or drinking when they go out for a meal or drink. Cause that's, that's like my parents, my parents are like that, you know, that they're, they're from the UK, they're social drinkers, that generation, they're not alcoholics, but you know, they're, they're social, social drinkers. And when I was going on my health journey, it would bother me. It was triggering me. Cause like, I want my parents to be healthy and I want them to be live as long as possible. But I'm like, no, that's their journey. That's their choice. I can't, I can't control that. And they're coming in two weeks and it's interesting because Chris and I don't drink a lot, but when Chris is around my dad, you know, my dad's fun and he wants, you know, he's just that kind of energy. And I think growing up with that as well, like I was the same. If I went for a meal, I had to have a glass of wine or, you know, if it was celebration, like the rugby on on Sunday morning, you know, that would have been like an excuse to drink, but I'm a morning drinker. So, you know, those kind of things. And again, like if I've had an amazing week and I've done amazing things or I've passed an exam, it would be like, you know, that choice to drink. And I'm like, why do, why, why do we do that? And also like, why can't we change that celebration to drink to celebration to like go book yourself a massage or go book a night away somewhere or cook your favorite meal or, you know, it's just that it's, it's the behavior, isn't it? It's like-minded behavior of the way we've been brought up and our surroundings. And like you mentioned, Libby, you didn't have, you didn't have sober friends. So it's like, you have to find new friends and you have to surround yourself with those people that, you know, cause I remember not wanting to drink and my friends would be like, Oh, you're a party pooper. Don't be boring. And I'm like, well, I don't want to drink. Cause I know tomorrow I'll be hungover and I want to get out for a walk or, and it just, the pressure it's the pressure isn't it and I think when you get to your where you are now Libby I bet you just felt like this weight just completely just like dissolved you know of all that pressure all of that peer pressure all of that emotional drinking and you must just feel so light in your energy as well now yeah and it's interesting because when you when you choose not to drink it's not actually that people don't want you do not drink they're just uncomfortable they're just uncomfortable with their own drinking like if someone is completely comfortable with their drinking and you say that you're not drinking and they are they'll never pressure you and so it's really interesting to see the relationships that we have as a society in the world you know in the western world with drinking because it's if, if if people are used to just having a couple of glasses of wine or with dinner but they want you to it's like the you know, it, it it's not our responsibility as the ones that are choosing to go sober to make other people feel better about themselves by diminishing our highest way of living. What would be your message to 
couples who are struggling with alcohol in their relationship, whether it's a message to the person who is the one drinking and maybe a message to the person who is the one struggling with, you know, with the partner drinking. Yeah. I would actually have a conversation with the, I mean, with the one who is drinking, that was obviously, that's been my experience. When you know, you know, like when you know that there's an issue, you know that there's an issue and only you're the one, you're, you are the only one that can do anything about it. And to the partner, I would say stand true to your own self-worth and value. I have seen so many partners give their partner another chance, another chance, another chance, another chance. And what that ends up doing is the alcoholic partner, right? That was for me. If you keep getting another chance, you just go, oh, well, they'll just forgive me. I'll just have another big night. I'll just do it again. And sure, it'll be painful, but they'll forgive me. And for me, the most powerful and healing thing that Dane ever did was walk away for for real. And that was the biggest gift that he gave me. And I, I then had a choice to either rise and change or not. And that's the hardest thing is to walk away from a situation when you love the person, but it's detrimental to your own well-being. And if you can walk away, if it's getting to the point where you can't tolerate it anymore and you've got those boundaries follow through with what you say that you're going to do because that is the only way that you'll ever truly help the person that you love I love that and I think from me being in a relationship where I was the one not drinking as much and I had that I had the drinking partner so like we're opposites Livy like for experience is focus on your health and focus on your spiritual growth and whatever it is. And it's funny because when you start to do that, you if your partner's meant to stay with you, they'll catch up and go, oh, well, what happened with my ex-partner was I was going on the spiritual journey and growing and less things were bo- not bothering me as much. And he was resenting me for moving ahead and he felt like he was he was being left behind and he couldn't see bless his heart he couldn't see that he was had the issue and that he needed to change and he wasn't willing to change so that's when I had to be brave to leave and a lot of my friends and family don't realize how toxic the relationship was because you know I kept a lot of the bad stuff to myself but it does take a lot of courage to like you said stay true to your values and what you desire in a partner And now I can say that I am in a beautiful, conscious, amazing, magical marriage with Chris. And I know you are with Dane now. It's beautiful to see that. Like when I see other people's relationships, like a few inspirational couples in New Zealand that I've found and followed and met, it just brings it back to my, like being humble in my, like I've got that relationship too. And how beautiful it is that I get to communicate my needs and my triggers and my darkest, deepest secrets and my celebrations with the man I love and the man that sees me, every single part of me, he knows everything about me. I can't hide anything from Chris and he can't hide anything from me because I just know, I know what day he's having. I know how he slept. I know, you know, and I'm grateful for that relationship. And I think that would be my message is to stick, like you said, to your values and your truth and your mission and your purpose and either that person will want to come with you on that journey because they'll magnetize to you or it will repel them the other way and they're meant to go the other way. So that would be my message for that. Yeah, 
beautiful and look at the relationship you're in like I know. because you chose because you set those boundaries for yourself yeah for self-love I didn't settle I didn't settle I just someone asked me a question I think it might be an old coach she said would it was one of those meditations where you, you know where do you see yourself in like 10 15 20 years and it wasn't with him like I was like he was dragging me down like nobody's business and all the people that were good in my life he thought they were bad in my life they were you know he was trying to isolate me from the good things in my life and just to rely on him which is another podcast for another day but it's beautiful to listen to that part of your story Libby and I'm really grateful that you got to share that even though it's so emotional just listening to your story and look where you are now in 2023 you know it's like all this magic you're creating and inspiration that you're sharing and the beautiful work that you're doing. So before we finish, where are you right now? What's happening in life right now? And do you want to share anything that's on your heart? Mm. Firstly, I just feel this reminder to share with everyone that (laughs) it sounds so cheesy and it sounds so simple, but if, if I can do this, we can all do this. And just like you, Pippa, like if we if we can do this, we can all do this. Together we heal, together we rise. And what's on my heart at the moment is I've been, I mean, for eight years working, working on this. If there's a reason, there's a purpose, and that I really desire and I really love to contribute to the world and to humanity. Cause I see I, I I love this planet. I think it's really beautiful. I think humanity is beautiful. And part of my mission what I'm really passionate about at the moment is helping to create the paradigm shifts that we need. I created a whole brand or company called Paradigm. And at the moment we're bringing through this coaching certification because, you know, like yourself, Pippa, for me going through my journey, I didn't, I mean, I had a background in psychology, but I didn't have anyone. I didn't go down the traditional Western route, a uh, Western healing route, because I don't want to take drugs for, to overcome my drug addiction. I didn't want to go down the traditional addiction recovery path because I it just didn't feel right knowing what I know about manifestation to sit there each week affirming I am an alcoholic when I'm like, but hang on, I'm a now sober. And so I forged my own path. And when I started helping others, I realized that I had such an incredible, incredible blessed opportunity to be able to be the person that I wished that I had. And I got to be that for others. And I think that is one of the most humbling and one of the most privileged experiences that we get in this life is to be able to help others in a professional capacity. And I believe that that's the new paradigm that we are creating is to serve in our gifts. And so it's been five years in the making of this coaching certification to refine the process that we go through and get client results. But that's really something that I feel very, 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 very proud and grateful and blessed to be able to bring into the world for contribution. And I'm really looking forward to walking with those of us that are ready to rise and serve in whole new ways at the moment. So that's what's on my heart. We can I all love rise. That. Sounds magical. Yeah. I have loved our conversation. I feel like we should do another one and talk more in depth about different things because time flies when you're listening to inspirational stories. It does. Thank you so much for having me, Pippa, and for everyone tuning in as well. Thank you so much for being here and, and walking together in this conversation.
yeah and give your magic your light for bringing this to the world thank you beautiful energy you have thank you thank you so much i really hope you've resonated with the conversation today guys i know a lot of you will because I'm, I'm listening to everyone's problems and issues and trying to bring topics to you that resonate and help you you know in any way that i can so if you do have any topics or questions that you want you know about this about this topic or any ones that i haven't covered yet please reach out because it's just such an honor for me to be able to bring those topics to you in the value you know just bringing as much value to you in your life so if you haven't left a five-star review yet please do because it really helps to circulate the podcast and bring in more listeners and people find me and i just love that so if they're meant to find me they will find me and wherever you are in the world i'm sending all the love from new zealand take care guys bye Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.